It's terrible. I mean, I think one of the things that's happening to people more and more today is this uncontrollable itch to be gone, to be off, to be away, to fly, fly forever. And uh, there are some places you can and some places you can't. So please bring it up there. Thank you, Tony. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. Today, I was walking along, see, and uh, just, you know, minding my own business. And I, I noticed something. I don't know what it was. It's, uh, you know, one of those little subterranean uh, trigger things that happen in your head. That all of a sudden, I, I, I was thinking about Alaska again. And, uh, you know, it's, I, think, I think traveling uh, is great when you're there. But the great thing about traveling is to look back on it and think about it. And uh, look at all the things. And, uh, you know, just think about it. It uh, kind of marinates in your skull. Like, for example, I didn't really appreciate India until a couple of weeks after I came back and all the stuff that had happened to me in India and the things that I had seen in India and smelled and felt in India began to uh, have meaning. It kind of, in, in other words, the reason that people write history, I think, is because uh, history... It tends to, at the time, it tends to be formless and uh, just so, you know, there it is. It, you're living through it, and it, uh, it doesn't have any meaning. Now, have you noticed how neat the Civil War is now? Well, you can get 50 different books on the Civil War, and every little bit of strategy is all lined out. And it's all neat. It's in a package. It's tied up. <laughs> and there's the Civil War. You could just reach up on a shelf and pull down three books, and you got the Civil War in your hand, you know? And uh, it w that probably would have amazed some guy who was in the uh, 4th Virginia Rifles at, uh, let's say, uh, Manassas, uh, which was a, just a great, fantastic, vast, uh, totally formless mess. A lot of guys milling around and, and uh, <laughs> you know. And, and so now today it's ne real neat. It is. Like our time, which seems to be totally confusing to almost anybody. I don't care who you are, you know. Uh, our time right now, 1970, seems to be uh, a, a total formless, chaotic, uh, anarchic mess. And I suspect that, uh, you know, by the year 2100, tw let's see, even earlier than that, 2050, they'll have neat little books. <laughs> I mean, if it's so neat, and uh, all the good guys will be neatly identified, and all the bad guys will be also neatly identified. And all the, all the, uh, you know, all the big boo-boos will be neatly dissected. And 
the people will feel quite smug about it, of course. They'll look back on our time. I'll guarantee you, they'll look back on our time. And they'll say, well, you know, the people of that time uh, had it really lucky because things were so simple then. How many times have you heard that said about, say, World War II? <laughs> I mean, no, really, people say, it, it, there's a tendency for you all the time to believe that your time is the most confusing time of all. At, at the time you're living in, you know, it's, it's a, not only confusing, it's uh, fraught with, and uh, you add whatever you, you know, figure it's fraught with. But at any given time, I suspect that the people living in that time, we're going through it, it seems totally impenetrable and completely uh, impervious to reason. It's only later that all the reasons seem so neat. And so it's like, you know, it's like any guy that's ever been in the Army. Uh, he knows this thing. That, uh, yeah, guys will come right up to you, you know, and uh, whatever war you've been in, uh, and, you know, going all the way back to the Boer War, I presume, whatever war you've been in, there's some lout will come up to you and say, well, of course, uh, you know, me being drafted is a lot different than when you were drafted because it's a lot tougher now, you know. You knew uh, what it was about and, and that you had. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Uh, and, I'm, and and it's going to surprise a lot of people to, to suddenly have this said to them about, say, Vietnam. It will. Uh, you know, 50 years from now, some guy's going to talk to a Vietnam veteran and say, you guys had it lucky, you know, at least, you know, you knew where you stood. Uh, that uh, that had some... <laughs> and it's always this way. And I, I uh, it hit me about Alaska, you know. I... I uh, I was sitting there thinking about Alaska. It's been sort of marinating. You know, Alaska is a country. Now, for those of you who don't know why I'm saying this, a few weeks ago I was in Alaska, and uh, we were we were shooting a television show there, which is going to go on this uh, this April. Actually, the series starts in April, and it's uh, in color. And we've been doing a lot of very wild, fascinating work all over Alaska. And at the time, traveling all through Alaska and uh, seeing this fantastic scenery. And I might say this, that I've traveled pretty much in the world, as you know, Tony, in the past uh, seven, eight, nine years, ranging all the way from the Far East to uh, Middle Europa. And I honestly can say that I have not seen a place that is more physically beautiful than Alaska. Now, that, you're going to get a lot of arguments on that because a lot of people are going to, you know, they're going to talk about Switzerland or they're going to talk about the French Riviera or they're going to talk about... Those places are all beautiful. There's no question about it. But they're tame. You know, it's, it's the difference between looking at a beautiful horse that's in the center ring, we'll say, at Madison Square Garden in the Nationals and looking at a wild horse somewhere in the Rockies. It's a very different beauty. And Alaska is so beautiful and so wild and so exciting that there's no place anywhere in the world that I've ever been that has that same feeling about it. Now, I've learned a long time ago that one of the important parts of any trip, to me, in fact, even more so than photographs, you know, a lot of people take photographs wherever they go, to me, sound is more important. And uh, I take pictures, too, sure, but... The sound of places really gets me, and whenever I want to, whenever I want to feel a place again, I take out tapes I made in Bangalore, and I can hear the sound of that market. It just you can almost smell it coming out. And wherever I go, I take a little tape recorder and I tape sounds. And uh, I just thought I'd play something for you that uh, that says so much about Alaska. 
it says more than any photograph will ever say, actually. And it was recorded. I was sitting in Nome. Nome happens to be one of the great favorite cities. It isn't a city in our term. You know, when you think of a city, you think of a city. You know, New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, even a place like Bloomfield Hills is a fantastic city compared to Nome. Nome is 2,000 souls on the Bering Sea, right on the edge of the sea there, and behind them there's nothing but this tundra. They're beyond the timber line. There's no trees in Nome. Uh, there's only this low, barren, rolling hills of tundra, and, and it's, it's peculiarly beautiful. The sun up there looks like no sun I've ever seen, the Arctic sun. You know, uh, Robert Service described that sun, and you can't really say anything about it till you see it. It's a, it's a strange, eerie, lonely, watery, peculiar sun that doesn't give much warmth, <laughs> not the way we're used to sun. And so I was there in the middle of their summertime, and everybody walks around wearing parkas, and it's quite chilly by our standards. In fact, the temperature every night would, ro- would drop down to around 40, 45, maybe even lower than that, 37, 38. And this is the midsummer temperature. It's the middle of August. That's their big summer, which is about nine days long. And, uh, and I remember walking along the, the Bering Sea and, and going into... There were two bars right on the main street. Actually, about nine bars, but there were two bars that everybody went to on uh, the main street of Nome, which is just one street, really, and a couple of little side streets running off of it, and uh, this Eskimo, little Eskimo settlement there, and a few stores, and that's Nome. It's, that's it. There's nothing else there. And uh, they have a movie house, a little tiny movie house, and these people live all year there. And it's not a tourist place in any sense of the word. And I walked into the Board of Trade bar, a great name for a bar. And uh, it's just a long, narrow bar. You know, do you remember when you were a kid when you'd go into pool rooms? You remember how dark they were? These were, there's a masculine atmosphere in there that you just, you could cut with a knife. You just can't mistake. And you can, you can smell stale beer and it's dark. And you see two or three huddled figures at the bar and a bartender walking back and forth with a blue work shirt on and big bar rag that's been used for six months and he's walking around. This is the Board of Trade bar. Now, you know why they called it the Board of Trade? Back in the early days, during the, during the, uh, during the gold rush around 1900 and before, that a lot of deals were made in that bar. It's the same bar. The same place has been running all the time. Hardly anything changes in the Arctic. The Arctic is like the jungle. <laughs> you may stick a radar set up there someplace, up in the boondocks, way up on a hill, which, incidentally, you could see, looking out of Nome, you could see a radar, a big round radar dome sticking up into the Arctic sun. And this was uh, part of the dew line. But that's out of town. You could see it way down there. And it's so temporary. You looked at these radar things, and they have a... You know what they look like from a distance? Driving through the tundra, tundra, sitting up there on that low hill, looking out over towards Russia, which is very close to to Nome. Russia's maybe 100 miles, less than that airline, across the Bering Sea there. And I had a feeling of looking... It was a very strange feeling. I had a feeling of looking at the Stonehenge, it looked like Stonehenge, these great slabs of parabolic reflectors, but they were covered, they, they're, a, they're a new type that looked like a great slab of Stonehenge just standing there. And they're a dark brown, a kind of shabui, earth-colored brown, and they, they uh, sort of meld in with the, with the tundra. And it looked like Stonehenge, these huge tablets standing there. 
And I was even reminded of the opening sequences of uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. But these were huge, just standing there quietly. You didn't see a soul moving around them. I'm sure that, you know, had you gone up there, if you could got close to this place, there have been a lot of GIs in there working it. But there it stood. And down on a long slope going down to the sea, just uh, all by itself, was this little strip of civilization called Nome. And I keep thinking about it. A curious place. It keeps coming back at you. And I went into the Board of Trade bar, and I had my my uh, tape recorder, and I'm sitting there, and it's, I, I didn't carry it. Nobody was performing. I carried it in a pocket of my parka. I had a big parka with the fur and all, and it was, an, it was a, a nylon parka. They all wear nylon parkas up there, in case you're curious. They don't wear the old-fashioned fur parka that you see, you know, the fur all over. Uh, they do occasionally, but those are for dress, believe it or not. And the, the working parka is a nylon parka, which is fur-lined, and it has a, a uh, parka hood, which is flops back, or if you pull it up, and the hood has a ruff around it of wolf fur. Now, the reason this wolf fur is used is because wolf fur has a property in it that uh, moisture doesn't freeze on it. Did you know that, Tony? That's why the Eskimos all have these big ruffs of fur. So when you breathe on them, uh, your breath does not adhere to it, and it doesn't. it's waterproof fur, in other words, and nothing will freeze on it. So I'm sitting in this joint there having a, a glass of Coors beer, which, by the way, is the big beer up there. It's brewed in Denver, and it all comes up there. They all dig Coors beer. So I'm sitting there drinking Coors and in the darkness, and I see up at the bar a famous, well, famous, a notorious Eskimo up there named Eddie the Rat. That's all I call him, Eddie the Rat, an old gnarled Eskimo. And he's sitting at the bar, and he's singing. He's been drinking. Of course, he, you know, he's the t- one of the town drunks, of which there are an infinite number. And uh, he's quietly singing away. And I just turned on the tape recorder, and this is Eddie. You hear Eddie talking away in the bar there. See, and you'll hear me say a few words. You're singing? That's the sound of the Board of Trade Bar on the main street of Nome, Alaska. A truck goes by. They have these big GI-type trucks, you know, with huge uh, cleated rubber tires in the back. Huh? Here, ready? <laughs> yep, that's right. Eddie has a tendency to pinch ladies. He just did. Another truck goes by. He's sort of singing and talking at the same time. I'm uh, sitting here in the Board of Trade bar, which is on the main street of Nome, Alaska. <laughs> I'll sell my shoes for a bottle of I can't stop loving you, but then I couldn't quite make my mind. Can't stop loving you, but then I couldn't make it. <laughs> there he goes walking past me now. He's shuffling around. He's walking here. So, Daddy, and he's sitting here in the. Uh, he has a bad limp. 
called the Board of Trade Bar on Main Street in Nome. And you're hearing the sounds of the bar as it just swings along here about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The bar is lined with Eskimos. Just people sitting here. Guys have come in from the gold dredge. And, uh, we're just sitting here listening to all this uh, talk that goes on. Well, this is what a bar sounds like in Nome. like waves sometimes nothing and then all of a sudden there's a giant outburst of the drunk sitting on the bar singing loudly a couple of minutes ago he was singing california here i come well what's a good word play the piano three more beers three more beers see Eddie went over and sat at an old piano listen Drunk has just gotten off. Uh, drunken Eskimo has just gotten up off the bar and just wandered into the back to give us some piano music. If you want to hear the sound of a guy playing a piano in Nome, Alaska, this is it. You know, 
I'll tell you the reason I'm doing this is because I've gotten so many letters from people who heard the original show that I did this on, and they were, you know, they wanted to hear it again. They also said that a lot of their friends had missed the show, and they thought it was, you know, great sounds. And that, that actually is authentic. I thought, this uh, this Eskimo named Betty the Rat. Now, there's a little postscript to it, too, that uh, the next day I went into another bar there, which is run by a lady, and a tall, angular lady, and I got talking to her about it. I says, you know, uh, I... I was I recorded Eddie the Rat? She says Eddie the Rat. You recorded him. What do you mean? I said, Well, I I did, and I played this for her, and she was astounded. She says, I've known Eddie the Rat for twenty years. I never knew we could play the piano. <laughs> this is the first time he ever did it. He just walked in, and everybody knows everybody up there. You know, uh, speaking of uh, of Gnome, yeah, okay. Speaking of Gnome, I got a letter from a guy here, and. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have heard me talk about Gnome. One of the most interesting guys I met in Gnome was Albro B. Gregory. Albro B. Gregory, who is the uh, the publisher and the... Well, he's not really... I don't think he's a publisher. He's the editor-in-chief and the chief writer of the Gnome Nugget. And it's a two-paper, two two-people paper. His wife, Adelaide, and Albro produced the paper. And, Al, and it's, uh, it's read by everybody in Gnome, absolutely everybody. And it really reads like Gnome itself. Oh, you don't worry about that. You don't need that if you can't find it. And uh, Albro, when I blew into town, he was the one guy that I met, and he hung around with us ever since we got there. And he's a giant bearded character. He looks he looks like, uh, well, he looks like Hemingway in a way. He looks like a cross between Hemingway and Jackie Gleason. You know, a little touch of, uh, of uh, sinister humor in him. And he produces the Gnome Nugget which is one of the greatest papers I've ever read. I really dig reading it. Every week it comes, I read the damn thing. And, and, and you get a taste of the real frontier. And I just got a letter from, from Albro, and I'd like to read part of it. He says, uh, what a great letter that was. We, I've written him a letter. He says, what a great letter. He said, we really dug having all, all of you up here. I wish you could have been around longer. I'm looking forward to seeing Gene's Greenwich Village news. You see, he appointed me the uh, official Gnome Nugget Greenwich Village correspondent. So I'm keeping him in, you know, informed of what's happening down on Bleecker Street and 10th and all that. He says, I'm sure that uh, it's going to be great. He says, we have had over 100 subscriptions of new people who have uh, heard you and, uh, you know, are enjoying the show, you know, enjoying the paper. He says, wonderful, we appreciate this. Now, here's what he actually gets down to what's happening in Gnome. Now, he wrote this a month ago. And it just got here. It took a took a couple of weeks to get. I don't know how he sent it, but it took a couple of weeks to get here. And he said, "We've had lovely weather." Now this was the 11th of September. For the last three weeks or so, nippy at night, the temperature dropping to about 20 degrees. I spent the the weekend of Labor Day at Council City, which is at mile 74 from Nome. Now everything in Nome is it's not the same as it is here. You know, you get in a, get in your car and you drive to Trenton or something. But up there, everything has numbers related to the city. So you say to a guy, well, I was up at mile 15. Well, that means that you were 15 miles out of Nome on that one highway that goes. There's only one highway. So he knows exactly where you were, and different places will have those names. For example, you go to the mile 8 bridge or the mile 15 camp. So he was up at mile 74, which is Council City. Council City, by the way, is three guys sitting around in a sod hut. And... Uh, <laughs> He said, I had a wonderful time fishing, exploring, and so on. And, you know, that's one thing about the people who live up in Alaska. They never tire of digging their land. You'd think that, you know, a guy would be up there for a while. He wouldn't go fishing or he wouldn't go exploring and that. 
they just this uh, Albro has lived in Nome all of his life, and he's a man well up there. He's got a big gray beard, and this is all he does. He loves it. He says, uh, Axel, Edmund, and I went fishing along the Neocluck River, drank too much, and once as I attempted to board the boat from a sandbar, slipped and went in the drink. He says, I was bobbing among the ice cubes, laughs, 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 but I caught a hell of a cold. Now, this is the editor writing. He says, our beautiful front street is no more. It is now paved with blacktop, curb to curb, clear out to Belt School. That's about four blocks. He says a sad thing. You know, the big fight that was going on up there was they were going to they were going to pave the road, which was right through Nome. And uh, on one side were the traditionalists who wanted to keep the, uh, you know, the frontier, the gravel road and the potholes. And the other side says, I break too many axles on that damn road. Let's get it paved. So anyway, that's what they did. They paved it. He says, now I'm, I'm campaigning loudly to have a boardwalk built along the seawall with access to the various buildings which back up to it. Now, this is just a little town that runs right along this, this sea, and every year they have, uh, you know, big things happen there. Uh, they've had disastrous uh, storms where out of, the, out of the frozen north, the Bering Sea will literally cover Nome right up. And so now they have a little stone seawall that was built by the Army Corps of Engineers, which protects them from the Bering Sea. And when I was up there, I recorded the sound of the Bering Sea, just the way the sound of the strange, milky sea sounds. And here's the way the sea sounds, just out there. That's a wave that's coming right down from the North Pole. The water is icy. It's the Bering Sea. Now, there's a sound that uh, I suspect not many of you have ever heard. In fact, it's a sound that I know not many of you have ever heard, and I'm going to just sit here for a couple of seconds and let it uh, let it kind of uh, play around with your imagination a little bit. This is the old sourdough here, and uh, we're up in Alaska, and I just want you to hear this sound. Oh, isn't that? That's the uh, sound of the slow rolling waves. It's a very odd-looking body of water. The slow rolling waves of the Bering Sea. There, there's another wave just lashed in. Lashed. They don't really lash here. This is a very flat, peaceful-looking sea, and it uh, is lying under a milky sky. The sky is very strange up here in the far north, at least uh, to people who are used to the more temperate latitudes. It uh, has a an odd, white, milky, misty flavor to it, extremely uh, poetic and peaceful. And the sun is hanging right overhead almost, almost uh, directly overhead. The days are very, very long at this time of the year here. Yeah, there you go. I, I, I don't want to play the entire tape, but the, that was the sound of, uh, of the Bering Sea. And uh, Albro goes on to say, for those of you who have become Albro Gregory fans, he said, we sure loved having you up here, the whole gang. We were up there shooting up there. And, and uh, by the way, I would like to recommend that uh, this coming spring, when our TV show gets on the air, that you watch particularly uh, the, the shows on Alaska, because we've got some 
fantastic uh, taped in color footage of the tundra. And, uh, gee, that's, that's, here's what Albro said. Now, remember, he lives there. And it can, if, if it can affect a man who lives all his life there like this, you can imagine how it is to somebody who sees it for the first time. He said, right now, with the nip in the air, cool nights and warm days. Now, by this time, remember, this was a month ago. By this time, they're well into their winter now. He said, the tundra's beauty is beyond description. Deep reds, crispy goldens, and striking greens. That is the picture. On the way to council, that's out at 74, I saw one huge moose just quietly standing amid the tundra. Scores of snowshoe rabbits and hundreds of ptarmigan, Alaska's state bird. He said, what a wonderful trip. It was my only complete weekend off for the season, and it was a welcome one. He and his wife write the paper, and it's, a, it's about four nights, four or five days a week it's put out. So you can imagine what kind of work they do, and it's a good-sized paper. It's about the size... A little bit smaller. It's about the size of the Village Voice used to be a few years ago. It's maybe eight, ten pages. And then he goes on to say, he said, uh, needless to say, he said, uh, I'm curious, he's planning a trip to Siberia. He says, the North Star Hotel is no more. There's a hotel down the street. The name has been changed to Nugget Inn Number 3. Under the new name are the words Food, Booze, and Snooze. <laughs> they get very direct up there. And just below the fire hydrant, which juts from the building, are the words Fire Water. Uh, oh, man. He said, my program for today is to drive out to the camp in which the new road is building. He says, i got to work on a story up there. And uh, that's Albro Gregory. Now, here's what one of our listeners says about the paper. He said, Dear Shepherd, in front of me I'm holding the first issue of the Gnome Nugget that I've ever had the opportunity to lay my eyes on. I must say that all you've ever said about Mr. Gregory's excellent journal is certainly true. And likewise, all you've said about Gnome... In my issue, 2 September, out of nine cases reported at the district court, eight involved consuming an alcoholic beverage. The ninth was for running a stop sign. The only one in Nome, right? <laughs> That's true, there's only one stop sign. How would you like to get nabbed for running the only stop sign in town? He said, I was especially impressed by the report of James Samuel Boire. Disorderly conduct, $50 fine, suspended. There was the condition that he make restitution. Bump, ba dum bump, to the extent of $45 for tearing the arresting officer's pants and breaking his wristwatch. Thump, da dum thump. Man, is tough, man. <laughs> he says, I'm really grateful for your letting me in on the nugget. And by the way, this is a kid who is writing for his high school paper, and he said it's a, he's a real serious, uh, you know, the kid that wants to go into journalism later. And he says, getting the Gnome Nugget is really something else again. He says, I've learned more out of the Gnome Nugget than I've had out of anything that I've learned about papers. Now, for those of you who are curious about what kind of stuff is in the Gnome Nugget, listen to this now. This is the September 21st edition. To those of you who got it, you were undoubtedly fascinated by the front page story. Listen. Uh, give me, give me a little of that sneaky, that uh, that sneaky music there, because you know, from out of the frozen north, a a dust-covered, begrimed, bleary-eyed figure came staggering out of the tundra, right? And this is the headline: Cougar Rock Mystery, Confounding. I like that use of the word confounding, and the, it's the Cougar Rock Mystery. K O U G A R O K. It's a Neskimo Cougar Rock Mystery, confounding. Now listen to the story and picture it. 
This is in the Gnome Nugget, and it's the front page story. It is not fiction. Jess Hutton returned from his camp in the Cougarock country yesterday, somewhat shaken by his experiences over the weekend. In the first place, he said, someone apparently used his cabin for at least one night. Hutton found a piece of paper on the table on which was written the following, quote, This lovely table setting, courtesy of Tiffany's, New York, New York. This is our first visit to your so-called and so lovely chic country home, but we hope to be invited again. The note was signed, Merci, indicating a French involvement. In the first place, Jess said, he had invited no person other than a dog, Sandy, who didn't really speak French that well. And he was astounded to see in his cabin in the tundra the table was set, including candelabra, two wine bottles into which candles had been stuffed, knife, fork, spoon, and such. Well, this was okay. But that night, Jess awakened with a start. There was an eerie sound that seemed to come from a cupboard. At first, he thought it was the dog snoozing and making snoring noises, but it wasn't. So Jess slipped back to sleep, only to be awakened again by what, by what was now a wail. Just a wailing sound and somebody shouting out over the sound of the wind in the tundra, saying, Your time has come. Placing his 300 Magnum in his sleeping bag, Jess vainly sought sleep. Different noises took the place of all the other eerie ones. Thumps and bangs and low moans from out of that tundra. Jess gave up. He just lay there and waited with his hand on a trigger. When the lamp was lit, in early morning, the noises faded away. Jess was glad to get back to know. And the last line says, Hence, the great mystery of the Cougarot continues. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Thank you. Wowee. How do you like that, man? Now that's a typical story out of the out of the main nugget. And uh, listen to this one. I think this is a great one. I tell you, I read this one. I, I laughed. This uh, this this got me here. Now, here's a headline. I won't even read uh, the rest of the story to you, but it's just a headline. It says, "Youth gets year for providing booze for minor." Twenty-one. You got a year up there, man. Justice is very different on the frontier because, you know, one bad apple on the frontier can cause a fantastic amount of problems. It really can. And justice is different there. And so the guy got a year for selling a 15-year-old chick a pint of whiskey. They didn't say why he sold it to her, but that, that's implied. Now, here's, here's a front-page story here, and it gives you a little flavor of, of uh, the way the people talk up there. It says, Aloha. It's off to sunny Hawaii. Bob and Joe Cannon will leave tonight for their winter home in Hawaii. There they will spend the... First they will spend a couple of days in Anchorage, 
and then take a Western Airlines jet hop Friday to Honolulu, a five-hour ride to the islands of palm trees, orchids, and pineapples, their annual return to the land of warmth and sun. Bob and Joe are gnome old-timers. And listen to this line. Who got tired of preheating their car in winter and said to hell with it. <laughs> you imagine the Times on its society pages saying, Mr. and Mrs. J.W. Glockenspiel Van Schuyler III have removed themselves to their Palm Beach home. They said, I've had it with this crummy town. <laughs> so say... Uh, it seems that they... Well, now, what he means by preheating their car, you know, that all the cars have electric heaters in the motor up there. And before you start your car in the middle of winter up there, you well, first of all, you keep it heated all the time. It's plugged in, uh, this heater. And they have little kerosene lamps that they put under the pan so they heat up the oil and the, the, the differential grease and the transmission grease. And this goes on and on all winter, you know, that... And the wind howls out as 40 and 50 below zero. So, you know, you could easily say to hell with it. So <laughs> Bob and Joe bought an acre of ground on the island of Hawaii, the big island, at a place called Kualua Kona, hard by the sea. There they will live until the warm breezes return to Nome. It's a rough life, said Bob, as he sipped the warm beer at the Bering Sea Saloon. It's a rough life. You just go to the beach and get all browned up every day, and there isn't a hell of a lot else to do. You just get lazy and lay around. Joe said she could hardly wait to get her bare feet into the sands. It's wonderful, she said dreamily. And so the two are off. <laughs> that's a that's a typical story. And they, here here's another one. Though. There's a there's a great story in here about a moose. Where is it here? Yeah, I, I read a story about a kid shooting a moose. Yeah, they got football scores. Uh, here's typical of their ads there. The Nomorama Theater. How you like that? The Nomorama Theater is showing the secret war of Harry Frigg. And uh, things are going there pretty big. And uh, let's see. Lost and found. I see uh, somebody lost a 30 6 back of Fred's bar. And uh, <laughs> I wonder how that happened. And here, here, the editorial here, I like this. The editorial starts out in this particular issue. Uh, it says, to hell with them. That's the way he's talking about a politician. To hell with him! And he goes on to say what he thinks about him. I'd love to see the Times say, uh, James Buckley, to hell with him, we say. Now let's get on to important stuff. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. Now here, here, uh, let's see. Youth held as a blackmailer. How do you like that? Boy, there's a story. He's trying to blackmail somebody up there. And you know one of the big stories that continually pops up in the news here is a Japanese fisherman getting caught off the coast up there. And uh, they're continually catching them. And there's whole... St you never hear about that stuff down here. And, uh, I mean, they, they really... Uh, now, here. Uh, <laughs> here's a list of this classified. You want to hear classified? from? The, and it's a series, classified. Needed. One haircut. If there is a barber in town, please call Bob Roberts at 2528. That's it. He's not being funny. <laughs> he needs a haircut, you know, and, uh, and up on the, uh, you know, in a place like that, uh, you have problems. Now listen to this. Now here's a, here's some very interesting stuff. Now and again, this is classified. You don't see this very often in say the Chelsea Shopping News for sale. Thirty aught six bold action savage, scope included, hundred dollars. Okay. Uh, now here, here's something for you. For sale. Dry fish. We got it. Call. 
Well, they live all year, you know, all winter on dry fish. Now, here's another ad, because uh, you know the problem here up there is freight, you see. Freight is a big problem. Everything has to be freighted in, and at a certain point of the year, that's the end of it, you know. No, no boats get in and all that, and so everything has to be air freight up to this place. So freight is a big issue. Uh, there's an ad in here about that. Big ad says, the last freight. It says, you better get on it now, quick, uh, or else. Where is it here? Uh, you know, stationary supplies. They have a... Yeah, here. No, I don't know, it's someplace in here, but there's a whole lot of stuff about freight. But the thing that's fascinating is in this is the daily life of the people comes to life uh, through uh, things like uh, the police records. Uh, every day, there's four guys picked up for fighting in the uh, in the uh, Board of Trade, and it says for public intoxication, which seems to be much better. Uh, you know, but, uh, that means he was you know fighting and screaming down the middle of the main road, breaking windows as he went. But uh, yeah, here's here's a story here. A Twenty year sentence, pleading guilty, plead guilty to a murder on an ice flow. Here's here's a nice little if you if you'd like to get away friends here's for sale 3 acres plus 70 by 35 foot vegetable garden 5 rooms electric heat and a fireplace it says uh, ideal arm injury forces sale so if you'd like to move up to Nome there's a nice little place there it's available and uh, here for example uh, uh, they have a uh, jade gold and diamond man's watch band made by Eskimos on Quaniuk Island just call. Uh, here's another. Uh, here, freight coming in on last barge or last boat, and this is an important. They've even got it rimmed in black, so you can't miss it. It says freight coming in on last barge, question mark, or last boat, question mark. Call Q Trucking Company, licensed to handle all freight between Nome and any point on the road system as far out as mile 115. So if you got something coming in, you better call them there, you know. And you get this this great feeling of of, uh, of reality, uh, which you, you know it's just so real up there. Uh, a big headline now in the paper says measles shot scheduled. They're bringing all the Eskimo kids in to get measles shots. Uh, Danny Okan bags moose. You curious what Danny did? Danny Okan Jr. This Eskimo name, by the way, A U K O N. Danny Okan ten. Bagged what was described as a large moose Saturday. The kill was made on the Fox River as he hunted with his grandfather, Jerome Trigg. Danny's grandmother said the boy used his grandfather's rifle, a two forty three Winchester. The animal was hauled out of the bush by Art Trigg Sr. Sr. and Herbert Willakuliak, Danny's uncle. Mrs. Trigg said the boy fired three shots, hitting the moose with all three, and the last hit the moose in the shoulder, causing instant death. Now, that's getting right out of that. Now, 10-year-old kid, now, now you, you hear this, you know, and you say to yourself, oh, how terrible, you know, they, just, they, they killed this moose and all. But up there, of course, you understand, that is meat now for the winter. That's, a, that's why it's in the, in, the, in the news. It's an important story. And not only, you know, was it a kid that did it, but it's a moose. And so this moose maybe goes 1,500 pounds. They go about that, don't they? A big moose up there. Well, that's a lot of meat. Now, they, they're not hunting for sport. And uh, up there, with everything freighted, do you realize what beef costs up there? Well, I'll tell you what it costs, since it has to be brought in, and they, they grow no native beef. 
a hamburger up there is about three and a half. And I mean a hamburger that's a little hamburger. It's not with these big, you know, not big, a giant, giant uh, hamburger, like the kind, you know, these big quarter-pound hamburgers you get here in New York. This is the kind maybe that you get at, uh, oh, uh, McDonald's. That's $3.50. <laughs> so bagging a moose is a big, important thing. And uh, one of the... Uh, one of the great evenings I spent up in Alaska was spent in Juneau. I was with this family, and of course they too, everybody hunts up there because they get a freezer, and whatever they bag, like a couple of deer or a moose, that or a bear, that is all uh, nicely butchered and put away like steaks and chops and spare ribs and loins and all that stuff, and it's all frozen and all winter long. They live off that because not much beef gets into that, no, no meat to, to speak of, and it's important.